0: Good morning. I'm not going to try to give this announcement because I butchered it last week, so read the screen. It tells you everything about your children's. Whatever I was supposed to say last week, I said backwards. And apparently, I thought I was right. But like my good staff in our church likes to humble me. I wasn't right at all. So read the screen. That's what we're doing. All right, we're good. Um, good morning. We are working our way through Micah again. Um, happy that you guys are here in person. Blessed that you're joining us to worship together. Um, for those of you worshiping online as well, thank you for being with us. As has been going through Micah, um, just a reminder of myself is that maybe in August we need to do something, you know, a little peppier, you know. Um, but we're getting through it, and it's actually been a, a really interesting study, and I think today... Um, today's chapter 3 is going to move us in a, a certain way, I, I believe. Um, in, in talking about Micah, our focus has been walking humbly with your God. We kind of pulled it from that title verse or maybe the most familiar verse in Micah where, again, uh, the Lord basically asks, you know, uh, what does it require of us, right, to do God's justice, to love as God's walk, and to walk humbly with our God, walk in shalom and peace. But, but as we're going through this book, we've looked at chapter 1 and chapter 2, we've been asking, but what does it mean to walk humbly? right the idea of humbly is founded in the biblical concept of shalom so it's not just again putting your head down and and being nice to everyone which is good right but the idea of biblical shalom is what does it mean to be at peace with God in harmony with God with creation with one another with yourself right and and that's a hard question because when we get to Micah we're asking what does it mean to walk humbly what does it mean to be in shalom when we as God's people are unfaithful What does it mean to walk humbly when when God's judgment comes because of our unfaithfulness? What does it mean to walk humbly when our leaders uh, uh, seem to be leading us astray, when the rich seem to be getting richer on the backs of the poor, when when the prophets are those who have chosen by God to to speak the truth to God and and to speak the truth to God's people are the ones who are violating God's law and, and leading us astray? What does it mean to walk humbly? In chapter one, for those of you who've been tracking along, we said Micah kind of goes like, hey, historically, this is where we are, right? This is a warning that we have sinned against God for generations upon generations. And because of our sin, we need to not only look back at our sin, but let that move us to lament, right? How much do we actually grieve our sin against God? Knowing there's going to be consequences, but do we grieve those sins, right? And then when we got to chapter two, Micah moves from, you know, not just a warning, but now to indictment. And he goes into specific ways the people have been corrupt. But one of the things that's beautiful is that, you know, no matter how corrupt the people have gotten or the people are, God is faithful. No matter how much we fall short, God is good. No matter how much we can't do what we're called to do, God does what God promises. And and so that's what you have in chapter 2. So even though Micah is pronouncing woe for what's been done and who we hold up, he reminds us that this God is still on our side. This God is still our shepherd who protects us, who provides for us, who is always there for us, carrying us. This God is still our Savior who not only sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, but meets us at our hour of need. Meets us where we struggle. Meets us where we're broken. Meets us where we're hurting. And not only is that God able to meet us, but he's able to pick us up and put us on the road to where he desires us to be. Amen? And then we get to Micah chapter 3. And in this chapter, there's further indictments, but now it's not just against the people, but it's against their leaders. It's against the people who God has tasked to, to oversee and govern that society. And Micah is going to make these, these further indictments specifically towards the court system. He's going to make them specifically towards the prophets who were chosen by God as God's leaders. And he's going to make it towards the government. And as you go through chapter 3, as we'll read in a second, you'll see that Micah, again, has moved from warning to indictment to now condemnation. He's building a case against God's people. But again, it's a case based on what we've done and what we haven't done. And in chapter 3, he's going to say, you who have been tasked to lead society, to lead God's people, you keep falling short. And perhaps we can relate to some of that. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn again to Micah chapter 3. We'll have it up front. I'll be reading the entire chapter. Um, again, as I've warned you in Micah, make sure you put your seatbelt on. It's going to be a fun ride, and we're going to get through it together. Um, starting at verse 1, Micah never mints his words. Hey, right? you'll learn that. If you haven't learned that yet, you'll see it in chapter 3 pretty early starting at verse one Micah writes then I said listen you leaders of Jacob you rulers of Israel should you not embrace justice you who hate evil and love you who hate good and love evil see that's how you know I'm a good leader read that backwards should you not embrace justice you who hate good and love evil who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord God, Yahweh, says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace, 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 if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Therefore, night will come over you prophets without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will cover their faces because there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who built Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are indeed faithful even when we're not. We thank you that you are indeed faithful when the world, when society, when our families, when ourselves all seem to be not only falling apart, but falling apart at our doing, at our incapability to do good, at our love for those things that aren't good, or, or our selfishness that puts ourselves first, much to the detriment of our sisters and brothers. Lord, we ask for forgiveness for not only falling short, but by profiting off injustices, but by only thinking about me and mine, by forgetting that we not only belong to you, but we belong to one another. Father God, help us to be a people who not only want justice, but who embrace justice like it's a hug in a home. Help us to be a people who not only rely on your mercy, but who truly live and love like you live and love. God, help us to be a people who not only want peace, but to actually hear your call. That we are to be the bridge builders. That we are to be the peacemakers. That we are to be the Shalom sisters and brothers. That we are to be working not only to see where the world falls apart, not only to see where there is darkness, not only seeing where the institutions and society all fell and break down, but asking you to help us in our little way, with our little bite of the elephant with our little skills and gifts and abilities, from our little seat in the auditorium to do our little part, to make on earth as it is in heaven, to bring justice out of injustices, to bring light into darkness, to bring healing into brokenness, to bring you into our world through the power of the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen? So this chapter is Micah kind of recounting where things stand. And it's not a pretty picture. But I think one of the things that's been fascinating about Micah is that a lot of things that Micah talks about, we can relate, even though we're talking about hundreds of years later. Many of us in this room have seen times where we, as God's people, have been unfaithful. Many of us have been unfaithful to the calling that God's put on our lives, right? To the calling of good that we are to do, to the calling of bringing justice into our world. Many of us can relate to god's judgment coming or a consequence coming because of our sin many of us can relate to leaders letting us down to being frustrated by a country where the rich keep getting richer and everybody else keeps getting broken and suffering many of us can relate when when god's people violate god's law but also violate god's people because it's not just that we violate god's law But sometimes in disregarding God's law, we actually violate the people of God. This discontentment that that Micah speaks of is something that we know very well. Now, last month, a Gallup poll came out. and, And you know me. I love my Gallup polls, right? Something you didn't expect to hear this morning. But I do love Gallup polls. And one of the reasons I love Gallup polls is it's one of the few ones that seem to be consistently right. Right. Like they they still try to be like, we don't have a bent. Right. If you watch most of these polls, like people are coming with their angle, but they tend to be right. And what's interesting about this Gallup poll is they were looking for confidence in major institutions, right? The, the poll was pretty basic, right? The good side was, you know, do you have a great deal of confidence? Do you have quite a lot of confidence? The middle ground was you have some confidence. Then it was very little confidence, and it was none, right? So picture all that in your head. There's five, right? To, to quite a lot, to none. So they, they, they identify confidence as taking the top two. So I want you to remember that because this is important because I'm going to give you a lot of numbers, right? This is a great deal and quite a lot of confidence, right? And guess what they found? Continuing the trend that since 1979, our confidence in the major institutions in this country is going down. Now, a lot of people, including church, love to talk about the church and how people's confidence in the church is going down. I want to tell you, people's confidence in the church is going down. But guess what? We win in the end right? Like, Jesus is still coming back. Jesus is still right. Your confidence can go down, but Jesus' confidence ain't going down in you, and the church is still growing. But I say all I have to say is, we ain't even doing that bad, because I'm going to read you some of these numbers about how, like, where we stand. Like, people are like, oh, the church is down. These are some of the numbers about the confidence of people in this country towards some of the major institutions. The average confidence level of all these 14 major institutions was a healthy 27%. Meaning that one out of four, around one out of four people, trust them at all, right? 27% was the average. The high point was the military, 64. Like, they, 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 they do a little bit of extra credit, you know, maybe brown notes to the teacher a little bit. They might get that D plus and pass, right? 64 was the high point. The low point was Congress, a combined 7%. A combined 7%. But the thing is, whether you look at Congress or the Supreme Court, whether you look at the military or police, whether you look at schools or the healthcare system, whether you look at any aspect of government or church or these institutions, most of our people have discontentment. But the second part of that discontentment is, it has been earned. People are right to be discontent. Because these institutions have been set up to care for the greater good. And they keep failing the greater good of people. And all people, though, feel like they're losing. And that's what's fascinating. one of the fascinating things. Gallup wasn't surprised by the numbers. He's like, y'all might be surprised by the numbers, but since 1979, no one believes anything, right? Like, and it's, I love when people are like, Facebook is what's destroying America. Well, Facebook wasn't around in 1979. I wasn't around in 1979. Y'all got started before us. We're just catching up, right? But the thing that they found interesting wasn't that people's confidence is going down. It's that everyone feels like they're losing. Everyone. Black, white, Asian, Latino. Rich, poor, educated, uneducated, urban, suburban, rural, right? Every aspect of America's population feels like they're losing. And they're not just losing because the major institutions are failing them. They felt like they were losing because society's is failing them. Their world is failing them. Their families are failing them. And the ones who are most honest says, I, as an individual, am failing. This is what Micah is kind of talking to. This is why I think we can relate to Micah, too. Because when we have a society where the leaders entrusted with the public good continue to let us down, we end up with this level of discontentment. But the difference here is that Micah's discontentment isn't even just for the greater good. Peter C. Craigie says it like this, Injustice was not just peculiar to Micah's age, It is a disease which would permeate every age and every segment of human society and which must be, by every means, be eliminated. So I wanted to talk about these major institutions, not just because the greater good are letting us down, but it's not just that they're not doing the greater good, it's that some of these institutions are doing great harm some of these institutions are not only only doing what's best for all, they're actually actively destroying the people that's been entrusted to them. And so where we switch from Micah isn't just our confidence in these institutions, but a reminder that when our leaders are corrupt, God sees. That when our leaders are not leading the way God has entrusted them to lead, God sees. And if we as leaders are not using our influence, our power, right? I think we've, we've talked a lot about how we need to, to sacrifice our privileges, right? What Micah calls us out is not just privilege, it's power, right? It's not just about the privilege you have. What's the power you have in your family, in your community, in your schools, in your workplaces? What is the power you have, and what are you sacrificing to allow some of these leaders and institutions to keep harming the greater good? Micah is going to talk about not only leaders leading people down but how these corporate leaders and these major institutions need to be condemned because they're piloting the flights of injustice as opposed to being the pilots of justice. They're driving society into the ground, as opposed to be people who are fighting to uphold the society. And here's the thing about Micah's pronouncements. It's not just for the leaders. It's always for us, too. So next week, Micah's going to be like, listen, everything's messed up, but hope is coming but we ain't in next week. We're on this week, so we're going to sit with this, right? And the question is, how do we walk humbly when this is a reality? If you look at a breakdown of the chapter, the very first four verses is going to talk about the court system, right? And perhaps you've read the new Jim Crow, right? Or perhaps you've talked to an African-American sister or brother, and they'll tell you, listen, the laws in this country might be a 9 or 10, but how we experience it is a 2 or 3. Hasn't changed much since 1619. And you may not agree with that, but that is their reality and truth. And if you really don't believe with that, have lunch with me. I'll tell you a few stories. It'll be uplifting to your soul. When we look at the court system, we can see in our culture where it falls short. But Mike is going to talk about where it falls short in his culture. When we look at the prophets, we're going to see this tension about who they were called to be and them not being who they were called to be. And when we look at government, we're going to look at what Micah actually thinks the government is responsible for and how God's going to hold them accountable. And starting in verse 1, Micah begins by addressing these chosen leaders of Israel, specifically the court. And he says to them, you not only don't embrace justice, you hate good and you love evil. You choose destroying people over building them up. You choose tearing them down over raising them up. You take everything that they have for your food. In essence, you cannibalize the people God has entrusted to you. And it's very graphic, right? Like the English majors probably love Micah 3. Like, well, I love that metaphor. You know, got in there, you know? But the thing is, he's saying you've been entrusted with power, but with this power, instead of actually working at administering justice, you're actually eating your people alive. And it's graphic until you meet someone who's been wrongly charged. I read a story this week of a lady who was in jail for 50 years for a crime she didn't commit. 50 years! I'm not even 50 years old, right? She's been in jail longer for a crime she didn't commit. And I think they've known for a decade that she was innocent, but they had to get the paperwork before she could get out. And that's just one story, right? When we're living and upholding systems that are doing consistent injustices to people, God sees it. And so Micah's response is going to be like, not only are we going to go your condemnation to the punishment that might come, but he's going to do this dance of, of injustices that are happening. And the flip side will be God's justice. But God's justice isn't going to be, yeah, we're going to make things right and feel good, right? Because those people who haven't heard the cries of the oppressed, the marginalized, the weak, the least of these, when their time comes before God, what does Micah say? God will not hear, or God will hear, but not answer their cries. If you're deaf, to the, to the cries of injustice, if you're deaf to the cries of people who are suffering, there's going to come a day where you'll stand before God and God just might be deaf to your cries. God will turn his face, not because he doesn't love you, because God sees your evil. And as we reminded last week, it's not just the evil that we do. It's the evil that we uphold, the evil that we support, the evil we turn our blind eye to. If you turn your blind eye to injustice, Micah seems to believe God just might turn a blind eye to you. And then he moves from the courts. to the the chosen leaders of Israel, to the prophets. Now, what's interesting about this is the people back then didn't have the word of God. We said in the beginning of Micah that when he's telling about this warning, he might have preached it for 20 years, and nobody taught to write it down, right? But nobody listened for 20 years. But another thing I want us to understand about these prophets is not only did they not have scripture, but they had a unique position, right? If people wanted to know what God had to say to them, They couldn't just rely that the Holy Spirit is upon them and living inside of them like we do, right? They needed the prophets. And I want you to hear that. They needed the prophets to tell them what God is doing, where God is moving, and what God wants from them. The people are coming with abject need. And what's the response? The response is to only support the governments that they thought gave them the power. The response is to to cannibalize the people and keep doing injustice. The response is to to give your, your ministry, not based on need, but based on wealth and power and influence, right? Whoever can pay for it, they get the blessing. And if you don't pay for it, well, you don't, you're you not blessed anyway, so why are we talking to you? Why are you even in my face, right? Like, this is how and what the prophets were doing. And what I love about this passage, right, is that God sees their hypocrisy, a reminder to us. That God not only sees everything, God sees our hypocrisy too. When we fall short, God sees it. When we leave good undone, God sees it. When we turn a deaf ear, God hears it. When we turn a blind eye, God sees it too not only are they taking advantage of this position, this sacred position, right, where people had to rely on them to find out what God was saying and doing. They were promising people shalom while not giving them shalom. God bless you, right? It's how in this country when every single week We have some kind of mass shooting, right? Or or, or sometimes we remember the ones that maybe are are active in our minds. And what do we pronounce upon the people? Shalom. God bless. Our prayers are with you. But we are not changing a thing. We're not changing a thing. That's the same thing these prophets were doing. Hey, God bless you. I know that stinks, you know. But God bless you. Our prayers are with you. The people need your prayers, yes. Yes. But if God has put you in a position of power, and if we're tasking you to be ahead of us and leading our society and culture, and you're not doing anything, Micah seems to believe we're part of the problem too. Because it's not just what you do and don't do, it's who you listen to, who you uphold, and who you don't uphold. And what I love about Micah here is that not only does God see the hypocrisy and and this fake shalom and our prayers are with you and peace with you, God doesn't take away their calling. God doesn't even take away their position. But you know what God takes away? Is their power. If you're not going to use whatever privilege and power you have for the kingdom, you may still be in that position, but your voice ain't going to sound off anymore right like your heart ain't gonna connect anymore you're gonna lose that power and that's what it means God will take away their blessing he still calls them prophets even though they're false he still acknowledges that they have influence but God says you know what you'll be like a prophet that has nights where the visions will come but without vision where the sun was set on your prophecy, where you have darkness without blessing. You as seers who want to see the future, you'll be ashamed. Diviners, you'll be disgraced. No answer that you ask from God will be heard. In fact, not only will you still be in this position of no influence, when you come before God, God will cover God's face. One of the things that we maybe as Christians appreciate as much as the people back then is access to God. Aren't you glad that you can tune me out right now? Close your eyes. you like, yes, we're doing it right now. We're doing a good job, actually. But aren't you glad that you can close your eyes and commune with the God of this universe? Like, Aren't you glad that you have that access because of what Jesus has done? Because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, that you can talk to God right now. But when we are people of injustice, God covers God's face from us. And then there's a little bit of hope here in verse eight. There's a dear brother who I love in this congregation who prays for me all the time and and, and who's a great encourager. I got a text from him this week and he was just like, I was reading through Micah three and I was like, oh no. You know, I was just like, this is a whole chapter about the sin of the leaders. I was like, oh no. Like, (laughs) what did I do wrong? Because I did something, you know? But he said, my prayer is that when I see Micah eight, I see that in you. And I realize That's not just for me, that's for all of us. All of us are called to be faithful like Micah is faithful even when institutions let him down, when society let him down, when family lets him down, when the world lets him down. We're still called to be faithful. Why? Because we have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. David said what? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Yet every single one of you who believes has the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You've been filled up. You've been chosen by God. And I love Pastor Carmen's prayer, right? Our call isn't just to call out sin. That's a good thing. Speak the truth in love. But our call is to do justice where we see injustice. And that's where Micah ends the chapter with, right? The final condemnation to these chosen leaders is that they not only fail to embrace justice, they despise justice. They've built up their country in blood and wickedness. The judges would rather be bribed. The teachers would rather a price. The fortune tellers want a fortune before they tell you anything. And here's, I think, the most convicting verse of the chapter. It's the end of verse 11. These people who are not doing justice, who are administering injustice, who are literally cannibalizing God's people, who are using their power to oppress, they still wake up in the morning and say what is not the Lord among us no disaster will come upon us and I think that should be convicting to all of us because I feel like that's where we are too like God's with us who can be against us God's got me I'm good God will see me through all these things can be true but don't forget the first 10 and a half verses before and the last one and a half verses after where God seems to be thinking, if you're administering injustice or upholding injustice, I'm not going to be with you at all. I'm not going to hear you. I'm not going to see you. I'm going to turn my face from you. I'm not going to be on your side. And then Micah makes another prophecy, and this one takes 100 years to come true. He says, Jerusalem, the city on a hill, you're going to be plowed and destroyed to rubble. Zion, you're going to be plowed and destroyed to rubble. The temple, right, which was like a beacon of God's blessing and where God dwells, that's going to be destroyed and down where the thickets are going to grow. And what's fascinating to me about this chapter isn't just that Micah is calling out these leaders and these institutions, is that Micah seems to be challenging us To not only see brokenness in the world or in institutions, but in ourselves. To define ourselves not just by what these leaders do or don't do, but to ask us, how are we doing this dance of justice and injustice? And I love the wording in chapter 3 that he wants us to embrace justice. How many of you have felt a warm embrace? It's comforting. It's healing. It's home. It's nice, it's love. Is that how we approach justice? Do we like justice, do we admire justice, or do we actually embrace justice? When we see something wrong, is it enough for us to just speak out against it and say, well, that's wrong? Do we embrace justice? Because that's what Micah is calling us to do to do the opposite of these people, to actually love what is good, hate what is evil. And I'm reminded by that classic quote by Dr. King. And you probably, if you started hearing me this, you probably knew this was coming somewhere, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, right? Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. But we mostly stop there because that's a really cool T-shirt, right? Like, that's a really cool bumper sticker. Yeah, I got it, Dr. Mike. Well, I call Mike. That's what happened in my head. Dr. Martin, got it. It's on my bumper sticker. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. But I think the second half of the quote is actually better, right? The first half says, if there's any wrong in the world, how can it be any right, right? If somebody's hurting and oppressed here, how can we say this is a just society? And we get that part, but don't miss this part. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. He's talking about mutuality. The reason injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere is that we belong to each other. We are our sister's keepers. We are our brother's keepers. And if we're in this family of faith, when one hurts, we all hurt. When one's broken, we're all broken too. When one's suffering, we're all suffering too. Because if we're truly the body of Christ, and I've used this example, and I'll probably use this for the next 30 years, right? When you stub your toe, you don't get to be like, wow, 99.8% of my body's doing great today. It's doing awesome, right? No, you stop, and your entire focus goes to the hurt toe, right? Right? And I have a friend who used to go to this church years ago before they moved away. You know, some of you doctors, I love you, but some of y'all need to stick around, right? You give me brilliant stuff that I use for like 10 years. So if you're in med school, stick around. I need another analogy to use, right? But he said, Hank, you know the beautiful thing about swelling? And I was just like, <laughs> it's interesting, doc. You know, like, don't really think swelling's that beautiful. He's like, no, 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 no. That's the body's natural reaction to protect the hurt area. And I think that is beautiful about swelling. I think that's who we're called to be. It's not just hating evil and loving good. It's not just injustice being a threat to justice everywhere. It's when people are hurting. is our natural reaction to surround the hurt people and to protect them and to fight for them. Is that our natural reaction? Or is our natural reaction to say, pick yourself up by your bootstraps? Or here's $20, be on your way. What's our natural reaction to loving? And the reason this is important is because just like the prophets and leaders of old, God sees our hypocrisy too. God sees our God bless you. Good luck. Our prayers are with you. But what is the good of our prayers if our heart and our work and our love isn't with the people hurting? Does God even hear them? does God even hear us? Because this call to be faithful is to be spirit-filled. And I think if you're going to remember one thing about this whole chapter, and it kind of sums up 1, 2, and 3 with something that Jesus reminds us of, we will reap what we sow. We all will reap what we sow. And I think we like to think about that, about the good things, right? I gave that seven-year-old a cup of water. That gives me an extra room in heaven. I don't know about you, but that sounds wonderful. You know? I gave that seven-year-old, you know, a, a Band-Aid for their toe. That gives me every, when I was a kid, that's how I thought. That gives me every food I could imagine in heaven. I know we got the big feast, but I need my stash. You know, we're going to be there forever. You know what I mean? Like, I'll visit you guys and go to the feast with y'all, but I need my stash. Forever a long time. But the thing that that Micah is pushing us here is not just the good things, right, that we sow are going to be reaped. The challenge of Micah is the bad things that we do and don't do will be reaped too. So the question for us becomes, how are we fighting injustice that we see, that we know, that we uphold? How do we walk humbly? Not just when our institutions, our people, our society, our families, our neighborhoods, ourselves, not only when they fell, but how do we walk humbly with God who expects us to be his justice, to be his mercy, to be his love, to be his grace, to be his shalom. That's the work. So yeah, this is a hard chapter, but may it challenge all of us to remind us that we will reap what we sow so are we building houses of justice? Are we raising leaders who are peacemakers? Are we making shalom sisters and brothers? Are we ushering God's kingdom come and God's will be done? Or are we simply living for ourselves? We will reap what we sow. Amen? I'd like to invite a Pastor Hannah and the worship team we're going to close with um, singing a song. I think it's familiar to us. us do it again. Uh, if any of the pastors are in the room I'd like to invite you up Um, we'd love to pray for you we'll be up here in the front pray for anything you've got going on anything um, that that you have in your life we'd love to pray for you or maybe it's something you want to react to in the service we'd love to pray for you as well Um, but as we sing that song I want us to hold on to this idea right uh, of even though we're unfaithful our God is going to be faithful But then we like to do more than one thing at once. So while you hold on to that on the left side of your brain, on the right side of your brain, I want you to just ask, how is God calling me to be faithful in my world, in my workplace, on my street, in my family, to myself? How is God calling me to bring shalom and justice in all these places that I sit in, right? In my world, in my city my neighborhood, on my street, in my house, in my family, in myself. How is God calling us to be faithful? Let's stand and sing together.
1: Walking around these walls, I thought by now, your are still.
0: mentors reminds me pretty weekly um, that every sermon you preach, you got to leave the people with a little hope. As I read through Micah 3 this week, I was like, whoo, God bless me. Um, I was thinking about just this simple thing, um, and and I hope it gives you a little hope as we talk about all these things that are failing us and all these leaders that are failing us. One of the great blessings of my life has been this church. When I first came to this church for a year, I met with Pastor Woody, and there's a lot of work (laughs) that God needed to do. One of the things he said that's always stuck with me, and and for those of you who are newer, you've never heard me say, for the old people who've heard this, God bless you, keep doing what you're doing, right? But for the new people, I want you to hold on to this, because this is part of the heritage of this church that I'm most proud of, right? He said, and I was like, I think I was like a 23-year-old kid, I'm just like, this man is mad, right? Most of you said that on a weekly basis, this is my first one, right? But he said, one of the things I love about this church as if all the people in this church took the day off tomorrow, this city and this region would be impacted in health care, in education, in nonprofits. And I was like, that's a weird, you know, like we, we the kids say, like, that's a weird flex. You know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> that's a weird thing to say, right? But over the years, I've met and walked with so many of you who are the antithesis, right, of Micah chapter 3. Who are leading and loving and doing the little bit that you can where you are, and God sees it. So, I want to encourage you if you're an educator, I don't have to talk much about how education is failing you. If you're in the healthcare field, I don't have to talk much about how that's failing you. If you're in the nonprofit world, we need to pray for you more, right? There's so many of you who are faithful to where God has placed you, and God sees it. But not only are God Not only our church, but our people and our region need you. So keep doing what you're doing because we need you. Amen. Our Father God, we thank you so much for the blessing of you being faithful. Lord, we thank you that even though we fall short, you never do. We thank you that even though we leave good undone, you never do that either. We thank you that even though we sometimes use our privilege or our power for me and mine, how wonderful and amazing and a blessing it is to have a God of all power who uses it for the greater good of his people, for the kingdom come, for a will that brings joy and love and peace and mercy. So God, we pray that we can be faithful where we are, that we can keep doing what we're doing, that we can be using our power, our privilege, our calling, our education, our resources, all that we are, for the greater good of our people around us. God, help us to be a people that not only like justice, but who truly embrace justice. That working to make things right is what feels home to us, what feels right to us. That we're willing to, to swell to protect the people who are hurt and marginalized and oppressed. God, help us to not only be grateful for your mercy, but to be merciful too. To not to be grateful for your love, but to be loving too. And God help us to be your light bringers, to be your peacemakers, to not only see the darkness, but to shine your light there, to only see the brokenness. Say, God, how can I help through the power of the Spirit bring healing here? God, help us to be people who not only like peace and shalom, like harmony and things being made right, but help us to give our lives our resources, all that we are to work for this peace in this dance of injustice and justice. May we breathe your love, your mercy, your grace, your peace, your justice bringers to our world. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you all. Have a good week.